I'm just so thankful that I, I can know with an absolute certainty that every person I see on this planet is the object of God's perfect, unsurpassable love. I don't need to wonder about that. That's a given. And my only job is to agree with God on that. To say, God, you know, this person has unsurpassable worth as proven by the fact that Jesus Christ died for them. I don't need to take into consideration anything about them. Don't need to know anything about them. And everything I think I see about them, I can just ignore because the only thing that matters is the fact that Jesus died for them. And so I can just ascribe with my words, with my deeds, ascribe unsurpassable worth to them. The three most precious words in the Bible, I believe. It sums up everything. Everything else is, is, is there as a prop for these three words, I believe. And it's the truth found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16, that God is love. God is love. It doesn't say that God does love as though love was something outside of himself. That God adopts loving attitudes as though his attitudes were something other than himself. He is love. His essence is love. His nature is love. That's who he is. Love is to God what holiness is to God. God could never be not holy. God could never be not loving. It would be against his nature, a contradiction to himself, to be anything other than perfect love. Whatever God does, you can know this, and I think we are healthy to the degree that we believe this to the core of our being and have collapsed every second-guessing, paranoid aspect of our, our nature about this. That whatever God does, he does out of love. He never can have any other motive for doing stuff. He is love. We maybe don't see that. Maybe we can't fit that into a rational you know, perspective, but, but behind everything that God does, if God's really the one doing it, it's love. There's a lot of things that happen in this world that isn't God's doing, and that's why they don't look loving. But when God does it, you know it because it looks like, smells like Jesus Christ. Amen. God is love. It it amazes me how uh, theologians throughout history have done, have gone to just great extents to water that truth down, as though it's simply a a kind of a footnote. You know, it's sort of an addendum to everything else. Or how the enemy uses it to, to make it seem like a trivial cliche. God is love, and, and as though that was not the most profound truth ever uttered. I don't believe that we ever fully understand the truth that God is love. However loving your view of God is, I assure you, it's not even close to being accurate. He's infinitely more loving than that. You can't get a view of God that's too beautiful. If it seems too beautiful to be true, that's just an indication that you're thinking along the right path. It should feel like that. God is that being whose love is greater than which none other can be conceived. It amazes me that in the whole of the Christian tradition, there has, uh, never, in all the creeds that we've come up with and burned heretics at the stake for, never, not one creed says that God is love, which I suspect is why we burned heretics at the stake, because we didn't really uh, see that love was the central thing. God is love. Everything God does, he does out of love. You can log that in, be assured of that. So when God creates the world, and now I'm backing into the message this morning, when God creates the world, you know he did it out of love. The Bible explicitly says that, as a matter of fact. He creates out of love for the purpose of expanding his love, for the purpose of inviting others in on his love. Love is the reason why God created the world. And the goal of existence, the goal of creation is to arrive at the point where all of creation and every person in creation is brought under the domain of God's love. The kingdom of God, the king's dome, the domain in which God is king and God is love, so love reigns supreme. The goal is really captured very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul says, 
that uh, all things are going to be subjected to God. There's going to be a time when all opposition is, is done away with. And then the son himself, at least in his, uh, in his uh, uh, role of redeemer, the son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him. Look at this. So that God may be all in all. The goal is for God to be all in all and God is love. Love will be all in all. And there, there's coming a time, I don't know when, I don't believe in timetables or anything like that, but I know the direction we're going is that when, the, when, when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, then God will be all in all. Everything will be ultimately defined by the love of God. Every square inch of creation will in its own unique and beautiful way reflect the love of God. In fact, the way we love God, the way God loves us, the way we love ourselves, and the way we love one another is going to perfectly mirror the love of the triune God. All the creation will be a mirror that reflects the glory of God. That's the goal of everything. Nothing will be in the kingdom that will be inconsistent with that love. This is why the Bible says that that love is a purging fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we looked at it last week. There's a purging fire. It refines everything that is consistent with the the love of God. It perfects everything that's consistent with the love of God. And it burns away everything that is not. That's why Paul says everyone's works will be tried by fire to see what kind of work it is. Everything about our life that is consistent with love is going to go through that fire. It will be refined and perfected by the fire. Everything that's not consistent will be, will be burned away. It will just be a purging fire of all that. So the job of life here and now, as we are in this gestation period of reality, this, this period where uh, we are, as it were, in the embryo, we're, we're, we're deciding how we'll eventually be born in the kingdom or outside the kingdom, the, this period of time is, is the time in which we say yes or no to the kingdom and in which we are to be growing and training for the kingdom, as we've talked about in previous weeks. The goal is to have our life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is what discipleship is all about. This is what sanctification is all about. So that we have something, only love is eternal. And so our lives only insofar as they've been built on love go through that fire and last forever and ever and ever. It affects the kind of mirror we are to the glory of God. Discipleship is not an optional thing. It's not a a, a secondary thing. It's, in fact, a primary thing. This is the goal of our present existence. And so Paul says, we've seen in previous weeks, that we need to have the intentionality of an Olympic athlete training for the Olympics. We need to have that kind of intentionality at becoming a godly person. That's what sanctification is all about. To be a godly person, God is love. It means being a loving person, growing and being the kind of person that loves like Jesus Christ. And everything about us is consistent with the love of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. The crucial variable that determines whether or not we're going to be growing in this direction, in fact, the crucial variable that determines whether or not you're a yes person to the kingdom or a no person, is this. Have you died to yourself? Have you crucified yourself? Are you dead yet? And so we have in this broader uh, section on discipleship that we're doing, we have this section, this, this uh, uh, mini-series on dying to self. That's what we're talking about, dying to self. Only insofar as we've died to ourselves can we be building on the foundation of the love of Jesus Christ. The self that's being talked about here is the self, the fallen self, the self in the fallen world, what Paul calls the flesh. It's what we've called the false self because it's a self that's living in contradiction to the truth of God, the the, the true self that God created you to be. It is the self that is a black hole in the center of the universe. 
A black hole is when a star collapses in on itself and becomes nothing but a gravitational force that sucks all the light into it. So also the self and the fallen world, and all of us have been there and yet struggle with this. It is that, inclined, that, that, that propensity in the fallen world to make yourself the center of existence, to have the world revolve around you, and, and, and to be autonomous from God, separated from God, the source of God's life isn't flowing into you. So now in hunger, you try to feed off of your environment. You try to feed off of people. You try to feed off of what you can accomplish. You try to feed off of what you can do. You're a black hole trying to suck life into yourself and everything revolves around you. That self, that false self, has got to die. If you're going to be consistent with the kingdom of God, that false self has got to die. The self that, that is autonomous from God has got to die. The self that is the center of its own universe has got to die. That, 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 that self that is perpetually striving, uh, scavenging in competition with other selves, trying to scrap up a morsel of worth for itself, trying to feel significant by what you do and what you can achieve and what you can accomplish, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good, uh, knowledge of good and evil as you're perpetually in judgment, that self has got to die. That self that, that uh, is is so affected by the ups of life and the downs of life that's so impacted by what people think about you, that self has got to die. The self that lives on the basis of what you look like and what you achieve and what you can display, that self has got to die. No negotiating with it, no playing with it, no compromising with it, it's got to die. Why? Because God's such a meanie God? No, because God is such a loving God. He knows that that fallen self, that black hole self, that autonomous self, that striving self is a form of bondage. It is what keeps you from uh, experiencing the kingdom of God. The love of God cannot be perfectly manifested to you, in you, and through you if you're busy trying to scrap up worth by what's around you, by manipulating your environment, by what people think and whatever. You're blocking God out of the picture. You think you're living, but in fact, you are dying. Christianity is so radical because it calls on us to die. It's not about tweaking so often we water the thing down so Christianity becomes sort of a self-help mechanism. It's, it's there to make your life a little sweeter, a little nicer, a little prettier. You're going to be a better citizen, a little bit more moral, a little bit less sinful, a little bit better parent, a little bit better husband, a little bit better wife, a little bit more religious. It, it's come to tweak the system. God so loved the world, he wanted to tweak the fallen system. But true Christianity says, forget it. He didn't come here to tweak your life. He came here to kill you. And what Christianity is about, it couldn't be more extreme than it really is. It's about a whole different way of life that's utterly alien to this fallen world. Utterly alien. Christ came to kill us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But see, if we're understanding things rightly, we would be saying, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Because the self he came to kill isn't worth defending. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. He's just, uh, he, he, he's just a brilliant guy. And... Um, he said this in his book, Mere Christianity. If you've never met, read Mere Christianity, I, I would recommend getting that uh, as soon as possible. It's a great book. He says this. Just, just nails it like he so often does. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so, so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you, the whole you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I came to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and cut off a branch there. I want the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown the tooth or stop the pain. I, I want the whole tooth out. 
hand over the, the whole natural self, all the desires, the ones that you think are innocent as well as the ones that you think are wicked, the whole outfit handed over. And when you do that, Christ says, I will give you a new self instead. Here's life. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The goal of the whole thing is for Christ to live in us, for us to surrender every square inch of our being over to him so that we can say with Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. It's no longer I that strives. It's Christ who lives within me. It's no longer I that are trying to get worth for myself. It's Christ who lives within me. The relationship God wants with us. Holy Spirit, help us to see this. The relationship God wants with us is one that will mirror the relationship that God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout eternity. Uh, Christ exists in the Father, and the Father exists in the Son. That's how, that's how Jesus wants to be with us. That's why he prays in John chapter 17, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and they in me that the world may know that you have sent me. There's this mutual indwelling that Christ wants with us. His very life, his very existence, existence pulsating through us. But it can only happen to the degree that we relinquish control of our life. Stop being trying to be captain of our own ship, master of our own fate, black hole in the center of the universe meeting our own needs. Everything about us that is independent from Christ, whether it's good or bad, has got to be surrendered over. Our hopes and dreams as well as our failures and fears have got to be surrendered over. Our righteous deeds as well as our unrighteous deeds. Our religion as well as our sin, the whole thing's got to be surrendered over. The good parts of us, the bad parts of us, the confidence and the insecurities, all of it has got to be surrendered over. And when we do that, the Bible says, when we do that, when you die, when you crucify yourself, that independent, autonomous, life-sucking self, when you crucify that self, now you find the treasure the treasure of great price. When you sell the whole field, as we saw several weeks ago, uh, you, you find the treasure. The promise is this, if you die, you will live. What is the treasure that, that they're talking about? The treasure is, is simply what I just said, Christ living in you. Life is found when Christ lives in you, when it's no longer you that lives apart from Christ, but Christ lives in you. Because to be ruled but to, to be ruled by Jesus Christ means you're ruled by, by the love of God himself. You stop trying to acquire love on your own. You uh, surrender to the love of God. God's love flows through you. That's real love, and that's a treasure of great price. You stop trying to get life on your own. You surrender to the life of God. God's life now flows through you. That's real life. That's a treasure of great price. Stop trying to have peace on your own. Acquire peace by manipulating your environment. Surrender yourself to the one who is peace himself. The peace of God flows through you. That is a treasure of great price. Stop trying to acquire worth on your own, competing in this silly win-lose competition game of the world, scrapping up a morsel of worth. You crucify that thing. Surrender to God. The worth of God, the, the valuation, the love of God comes into you, and now you feel real life because you feel worth as you were meant to feel it. Infinite, unsurpassable worth. It comes by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Die and you will live. Lose and you will find. Sell it all and you have the treasure. And the goal, the goal, the goal is for our very being... This is, this is what God's for, for our very being to be a manifestation of who God is. Paul says that it's predestined of us, that all who are in Christ, that you shall be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that he may be the firstborn among a very large family. A family where everyone has this in common. We, 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 we have this resemblance to Jesus Christ. Namely, everything about us expresses who God is and who is God. God is love. Uh, it's not predestined that whether you'll be in Christ or not, as though God's going to 
pick out ahead of time who's, who's going to be going to hell. No, it's rather if you're in Christ, this is what's certain about you. Everything about you is going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Why? Because everything else is going to be burned up. And the goal is for our very being to be an expression of who God is. Now we are the body of Christ. Like my hands are part of my body. They, they're, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm inextricably tied up with them. They carry out my will. We are now carrying out his will on earth as, as it is in heaven. Our very being manifests who Jesus Christ is. But it only happens when we crucify that self that wants to exist in competition with God and exist in competition with other people. Now, as we do that, we don't do it once upon a time. It's something we have to, with, with the intentionality of an Olympic athlete, we do every day. And as we do that, it changes our character, and now we're forming something that will go into the kingdom. As we do that, our perspective of life changes dramatically. And so I've been going through some areas that, that change. I went through three last week, and I thought I was going to go through four this week, but I'm actually going to get th- only through one. Last week we, and that's shocking, last week we dealt with how when you're dead, you have a new perspective on everything. <laughs> and so I, I, people have crucified themselves, view physical life differently. They view, they view physical death differently. They view security differently. I talked about that last week. Get the tape. This morning I want to talk about how it changes our view of individuality. Our view of individuality. And the reason I want to bring that up right now is this. I am, I'm convinced that a lot of people, when you hear this talk about dying to self or being conformed to Christ, there's a part of you that resists it because it feels like your individuality is going to be squashed, suffocated, done away with. In fact, some people, their whole view of Christianity, and I so relate to this, I've been there, there's something in you that resists this Christianity stuff because it feels like to you that to, to join up with this program, to enlist in this army, means you're going to have to surrender your individuality. It means that you're going to you know, join the, the, the religious herd where everyone's going to think the same things, have the same opinions about everything, you know, have the same Bible verses memorized. We're all going to look alike, act alike, talk alike, think alike, you know, recite all the same creeds. There's no room for individuality, no room for differences whatsoever. So it seems like your individuality is going to be totally suppressed. And so you resist that. And that's not a carnal thing either. Because the most precious thing about you, here's what's true, the most precious thing about you is the fact that you're you, not me or the person next to you. You are you. There's only one you that's the most precious thing about you. And the most, the most uh, uh, driving need in your life is for you to feel valued as you, to feel loved as you in your distinctness, in your uniqueness. Not just in the sense of God loves everybody, yada, 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 but in the sense that do you as an individual with all your distinctiveness, what sets you apart from everybody else, do you have value in that distinctiveness? That's a legitimate thing. Sometimes people have, have thought that, you know, kids, kids when they're, if they're in any kind of healthy environment around the age of two, they start saying, mommy, look at me, mommy, look at me, look at me, look at this, or they'll go up to a stranger, look at this, look what I can do, I can do cartwheel, look at this, look what I can do, look what I can do. And people think, oh, that's a, that's a sign of the original sin. They're, 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 they're you know, just born in this pridefulness trying to show off. But see, I believe everyone was meant to shine. I think we're all meant to say, you know, look at this. Uh, I, I'm distinct, I'm not you. I, there, there's a distinct existence here with a distinct way of, uh, of, of acting and thinking and, and a distinct gift package. And we're, that's a valuable, preciously valuable thing. But see, the fallen self, the fallen self, that false self, what happens is 
You take that legitimate need and it tries to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Because it believes it has to enter into the competition game, the win-lose game of the world, where now we're going to fight each other for individuality. We, we, we define our individuality over and against one another, and we're threatened by one another. That's where jealousy and, and coveting all come from, and envy and strife, because we're in a competition thing. So we're saying, look at me, not them. Okay? Look how I shine, not like that. And so we, we're in a competition with one another. The fallen self thinks that it needs to, to achieve, to earn, to compete for its value as an individual. And that is absolutely destructive. This is an area that has been really central to who I am because as a kid, as I look back on it and kind of do a psychoanalysis on myself, I think one of my, dra- my driving forces in my old self-life was um, the need to feel like a worthwhile individual. And maybe that's true in varying degrees of all of us. I grew up under a brother who uh, was a superstar, super jock, super achiever, everything. Uh, you know, his picture on the front page of the paper, all stayed this, set records rushing. And, and, and I mean, the fam- in my family, with regard to my father anyways, the, the competition game we played was um, uh, who's best at sports. That was sort of this, the game I inherited. I, it turns out, I realized later on, I don't even really care for sports that much. I'm much more of a bookworm, but books didn't count in my family. That just wasn't part of the game. Sports was the game, so if you're going to get attention, going to get worth, going to get value, you got to do sports. But I can never measure up to my brother, Mr. Allstate Everything. I was better than, 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 than the average kid, but I wasn't any Chris Boyd. And so I, I grew up feeling suffocated in this competition game. When I go look at me, if there's any leftover time, I get looked at. But otherwise, it's look at Chris, look at Chris, look at Chris. And I'm like, what about me? And then I had to go to Catholic school, and, and uh, uh, we all had to wear uniforms. And you talk about conformity. This is pre-Vatican stuff, man. Everyone had to, you know, just you had to go in single file, wear the same clothes, think the same thoughts. And I, I remember feeling suffocating. I, I, I was never good at that religious stuff anyways. I'm still not good at religious stuff. I just can't do that. And so what I discovered was that, that, you know, if I can't win, this is what we all do. If you can't win in this game, let's create our own game. Okay, I can't win at the sports thing. I can't win at the do-good thing. Well, maybe I can win at the do-bad thing. And there's another crowd. There's another audience that plays that game. These are the class rebels, whatever, you know. And so now I could be the kid. I could say, look at me, because I don't have any boundaries. I'm the class clown. I will do anything. You dare me. I never say no to a dare. And I don't really care if I get in a lot of trouble, because at least I'm getting some attention. At least I'm, a, I'm an individual. I'm distinct. <laughs> you got to give me that, huh? No other kid would ever do that to Sister Mary. No. no they... <laughs> Sister Mary's still locked up over that one. <laughs> He's a demon child. He's a demon child. <laughs> Poor Sister Mary. We should have a prayer vigil for right now. I remember driving home one time. I, I in seventh grade, uh, got caught shoplifting. Uh, I was trying to steal an entire store downtown St. Paul. Uh, <laughs> My friend did it, and uh, he got a lot of, you know, he, he, he was able to then, you know, he sold a bunch of records and sold them and bought an amplifier. I thought, well, I'll steal a bunch of records, sell it, and get a new symbol. He was part of the rock band. So I go downtown. Now, it wasn't really well thought out. Uh, it's July, and I'm wearing a long overcoat, all right? <laughs> With sunglasses, you know. And I'm going along, just lifting up records, you know, thinking I'm really kind of, you know, pretty clever at this thing. And as I go to walk out the store, thinking I'm in the clear, boom, the guy grabs me. And he'd been following me for about an hour, and I didn't even notice it. I mean, that ought to be with a walkie-talkie. you think I, you know, I get it, but 
Okay, so I, they, they bring me down to the uh, criminal place, uh, police station. They book me. They call my parents. I hear my stepmother scream on the other end of the phone. I know that I'm done for. They come down and they get me. And driving home in this excruciating silence, I'm in the back seat, they're in the front seat, my dad and my stepmother. And finally, my dad breaks the silence by lifting up this certificate of arrest that they gave me with my name on it. And he goes, well, you ought to be really proud of this. And then he goes, what should we do with it? I know what we'll do, we'll frame it. Where should we put it? I know where we should put it. Let's put it up on the, 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 the platform with all of Chris's trophies. We'll hang it right there. And see, I'm in the back seat, and I love my dad. He, 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 like the rest of us, he wasn't a perfect dad, and he was very, very, very angry at this point. And that just dug in like a knife. And I, I, you know, there probably isn't a better way to solidify a kid in rebellion than to do something like that. And I thought to myself, as I'm sitting back there, I... I actually can't tell you what I thought to myself. (laughs) But if I was going to give you the sanitized Christian version, it was basically this. You know what? Go ahead. Frame that thing. Put it up on that, uh, along with all the other trophies. He had a whole wall of trophies. I had a little tiny little football trophy over there that everybody on the team got. Uh, And the rest was all Chris's trophies. And and it was like, okay, you know what? Frame that and put it up there because at least I'll have something up there because I sure as heck aren't going to get a lot of trophies up there by doing the competition game. I'm going to quit that whole thing. Put it it in a frame. Put it up there next to Chris's trophies. At least I'll have something up there. At least there'll be some testimony to the fact that I exist. At least someone will look up there and say, oh yeah, you know what? He has a brother too. You see, if you can't get to look at me, if you can't shine doing it in in this competition, you'll do it in a different competition because even bad attention at least is some kind of attention. At least someone validating your existence. And so it is for all of us in this fallen world, we develop strategies for trying to shine, trying to be an individual in one way or another, saying, look at me, do I count? Uh, What is my worth? But in the fallen world, we do it by this silly win-lose competition thing. For some people here, maybe it was something like, uh, I can be the prettiest, that would be my distinct thing. Or if I can't be the prettiest, at least, and here's where we usually go, at least I'm prettier than that person, that person, and that person. Or maybe I'm the smartest. Well, if I can't be the smartest, at least I'm smarter than that person, that person, that person. Maybe I'm the, uh, I'm the, the, the nicest. Uh, you know, if I can't be the nicest, at least I'm nicer than the Greg Boyd and th- those other three people, the goody two-shoes person. Or, or maybe you're the most religious, or maybe you're the most successful, or maybe you're the religious, most religious. Or you can hit the ball the farthest, or you can run the fastest, or, or you know, whatever your gift might be. And so we enter into this knowledge of good and evil, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, setting ourselves over and against other people, assessing ourselves, and judgment of one another, trying to get a little bit of worth. Maybe I can be the sexiest. Maybe I can turn people on the most. People fall into that, and it's a competition thing, and at least it makes them feel a little bit alive. And if you're really pathetic, you can at least say, well, at least I live, I, I, you know, my country's the best country, or my race is the best race. Something you got going for you. Maybe my, at least my, my, my skin is white, or my skin is black, or, or you know, it, it, whatever it takes, find something distinctive and carve out a little bit of niche that gives your life some meaning. And what we've got to see here this morning is this. That is all a cancer. It is that whole competition mindset is, is a lie of the enemy. Far from giving you individuality, it is, it is making you an absolute conformist. You're buying into the universal massive lie that everyone believes in that you've got to strive for your individuality. You're a total conformist. You're just one of the players. that You conform to the matrix of this world, the pattern of this world, the system of lies that tells you that your individuality and your worth and 
your uniqueness. It's something you've got to strive for, something you've got to work for, something you've got to achieve. You're just one of the billions of people, and we all have been one of the billions of people who buy into this lie that somehow your individuality can be achieved. Uh, you think that you're living when in fact you're dead. You think that you're free when in fact you're a slave. You think this is real when in fact this is an illusion. The enemy, the god of this age, is jerking us around by controlling the neurons in our brain, reducing us to becoming rats on a treadmill, paste, uh, going after a piece of uh, illusory cheese, telling us that if we finally get the cheese, then our life will be worth living, but we never get the cheese. And what God is saying is wake up to reality. Get out of that rat race. Get out of that win-lose competition game. Get out of the, the lie that, that makes you think that, that, that your individuality is something you've got to fight for. Wake up to reality. Take the red pill, as, as we, we've sometimes said. And what is reality? Reality is this. Right now, as you're listening to me, you are created by a God who uniquely made you. you. You are one of a kind. You are precious in his eyes. No one quite looks like you, thinks like you, talks like you, relates like you. No one quite does life like, like you do. And you have an unsurpassable worth. You are infinitely valuable in God's eyes, and you don't need to prove it to anybody. You don't need to do anything to achieve it. You don't need to compete for it. It's yours. It's free. You got it. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus doesn't come to destroy our individuality. He comes to save it. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life, that we might have life more abundantly. And that abundantly is the way you're going to do it. Greg Boyd does life abundantly different than Dave Churchill or Ruth Richmond or anybody else. And he's come to give me abundant life. In the unique way, the unique person that I am, I can have abundant life. It's going to look different than the way you have abundant life. But he comes to give abundant life. The enemy is the conformist who says... Oh, you got to be the prettiest, smartest, most religious, richest, most successful, best football player, baseball player, or whatever. Lies, 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 lies. What we need to see is this. When, when the Bible says that we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we are all going to be conformed in this sense that we will all radiate the love of God. Everything about us will be consistent with Jesus Christ. But the way we're going to radiate the love of God, the reflect the love of God, is going to be different. Every one of us is, has an individual way of doing it. God gave me a picture of the kingdom that just kind of really hit me, and I, I want to share it with you. It has to do with this whole topic. Um, yeah, you've seen prisms, haven't you? Uh, the most famous prison of all time. Prism, prism, not prison, prism. A prism is like a, is, is a uh, pyramid-shaped glass or crystal that refracts light. The most famous one is dark side of the moon, of course. There you go. Breathe, breathe in the air. Don't be afraid to care. Okay, anyways. Very intriguing album. But that's a prism. See, prism, it takes all of the frequencies of light and refracts it, it and, and thereby brings out the hues, the colors that are implicit, the beauty that is implicit in light. A rainbow is, is the result of prisms. Uh, all the moisture in the air acts like a prism. The light hits it, and then it gets refracted. So you, you see the, the color spectrum of light displayed in a rainbow. That's what a prism does. Brings out the beauty that is inherent in the light. Each one of us, think of it this way, each one of us is like a prism, a unique prism with a unique way of reflecting light. The Bible says numerous times that God is light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And we are created to be reflectors of that light. We are unique prisms. This is that God's light frequency, if you will, isn't narrowed to a couple of colors. It's infinite. And what he creates us to do is to reflect in our own way the infinite beauty of the, 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 the beauty that is implicit in who God is. 
we display it in a unique way. And I got a picture of the kingdom of like an emerald city, this massive emerald city with, uh, the, the beauty was breathtaking. It was incomprehensible. It was just being displayed like, like an explosion of northern lights. I don't know if you've ever seen northern lights when they're really on fire. The sky's on fire and there's these beautiful violets and greens and these different hues. And I, I saw the, the, a picture of the kingdom that was like that. And it was composed of all people who were prisms. Uh, and we all, in our own unique way, displayed the glory of God. Different colors. We brought out the beauty of, the, uh, of, of Jesus Christ. And we did it in our unique ways, with our unique personalities, with our unique talents, our, our, our unique styles. Every one of us was a little bit different. And we were all dancing in the light, rejoicing in the light. Our eyes were focused on the light. But we were also awed by the beautiful way each one of us individually displayed that light. We weren't in competition with God because we were surrendered to God and God's light was shining through us. So part of my appreciating the light was appreciating the way you display it and the way I display it. I'm looking at the light, but I'm looking at the light through you. So I'm overwhelmed by the creativity of the God who made you to be the unique person that you are and you're overwhelmed by the, the beauty of, uh, and the creativity of the God who made me to reflect light the way I, I, I do. And now, now you see the, 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 the competition, silly win-lose competition thing of the world has been done away with. Rather, I can appreciate the distinct thing that I am, the unique person that I am, because I reflect the light of God in a unique way. And the kingdom of God is where now the, everything in creation is displaying, is replicating, is, mirror, is, re, is mirroring, is reflecting the beautiful light of God coming to us, in us, and through us. That's the kingdom of God. The one thing that can block that is when the prism tries to be its own source of light. A prism isn't a source of energy. When a prism tries to be its own source of light, it simply turns into a dark, dead rock. And so we are without God. The fallen self is the attempt to have your own life, to shine your own light, to, to carve out your own individuality, to establish your own worth. And the result of all that is you're just a dead rock. You weren't made to do that. And so what God is telling us when he says die to that old self is this. Die to that self that tries to be its own light and open yourself up to the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Die to that old self that tries to be its own source of life and open yourself up to the life of Jesus Christ. Die to that old self that tries to be its own source of worth and open yourself up to the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. Die to that old self that tries to establish by competition its own individuality and open up your life to the individuality that God brings you so that now you get to the point where you can say, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. It's no longer I that shines, but Christ who shines within me. But when Christ shines within me, man do I shine. You see? And so appreciating the way you shine. Amen. And I can say, I like the way I shine, and that doesn't compete with, with you because you shine in a totally different way. I love watching Wendell shine on those drums. Probably because I used to be a drummer, so I, I can appreciate that. Where Ruth, it's just, it's, I'm rejoicing in Jesus Christ as I'm seeing God working through her. Or Greg, or Norm, I always tell Norm, I, you know, it just, I, I, it just rocks me when you are just you. Just be you. You don't have to try to be anything other than you. Just be you. Do what you were created to do. You were created to lead worship. Lead worship. Just have a good time. And man, does God shine. You're glorifying God, but you're also saying, man, Norm, that is great. You see, this is what you're created to do. You don't need to demean yourself in order to glorify God. Rather, you can feel, you can feel great about the way you think, the unique way that you do life. The, the unique, not everything about you is consistent with that, of course, but 
Insofar as you are a unique person, you're a unique prism, a crystal made by God that just shines. You are a shining star. And it's okay to say, look at me. If, 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 if in doing that, you're saying, look at Jesus Christ shine through me. I love the way the Creator shines through you. I can just sit back and enjoy that. And I can compliment you for that, even as I'm glorifying God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 22, here's the top commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And the second one, you got to stay with it. These are all part of one movement. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm loving God as a part of loving me, as a part of loving you, because I'm honoring the source of light, and I'm, I'm just loving the way it gets reflected in me and the way it gets reflected in you. And that's the goal of the whole thing. We've bought so many lies, so many lies, so many lies. Some of us here have, are, have bought and are still under the bondage of a lie, that uh, whether you know it or not, there's a lie operating in your brain and it keeps you from experiencing the perfect love of God coming to you, in you, and through you. A lie that you have to be the prettiest or the smartest or the most religious or the richest or the impress people with your humor or impress people with, you know, your sexuality or, or whatever. And you're striving and striving in the silly, win-lose, pathetic competition game of the world and it blocks the flow of love to you, in you, and through you. Give up on it this morning. Let it go. Die to it. Crucify it. And just be a prism that opens itself up to the light. And now enjoy the way that you shine. Enjoy the way that you shine. Doing it on your own, though, just results in darkness. Others here, I bet, have bought the lie that to glorify God means you've got to demean yourself. It's that maggot theology I've talked about before. People think somehow that it, it, it's sinful for you to ever really like what you do, to think that you're good at anything. That's sinful. It's prideful. To think that, you know, to enjoy the way that you can do music or to enjoy the way that you can, uh, you know, take care of kids or the way that you think and process things, the way you problem solve, that somehow that's a carnal sinful thing. And that the way to glorify God is to make yourself into just sort of as lowly a person as possible. You want to be invisible. You want to disappear. You, you, you just want to, uh, you know, uh, say there's nothing good in me. I'm altogether worthless. I'm altogether evil. I'm altogether sinful. Oh, but God is glorified and, and, and whatever. But you're not complimenting the Creator when you do that. He wants you to shine. Now, a lot of, a lot of that we do is sinful and bad. Okay, that's got to go. That's got to be crucified. But when you surrender, now you shine. Now you shine. And part of my appreciating Jesus Christ is appreciating you, the unique thing in you. Maybe it strike me as weird, but there's a beauty in weirdness. Man, that is an interesting crystal you are there. What an interesting crystal. You know, you got a unique way of displaying the creativity and beauty of the Creator. And the kingdom of God comes when everything else is done away with here. Will you close your eyes and pray? I'm going to pray two prayers. First, let me just pray this. Father, I pray, God, that every person in this auditorium would grow in their love for you and also in their love for themselves as the unique prism that reflects you. And I pray, God, that you'd open up all of our eyes to, instead of competing with other people, see the beauty of who they are. At least potentially who they are because you've made them, whether they're living it or not. And God, help us just to learn to dance with you, dance with each other, and celebrating who you are as we celebrate who we are, as we celebrate who others are, Lord. And free us from the lies, the bondage, the strongholds that keep us from living out that truth, Lord. Let me ask this question here as you keep your eyes closed in the state of prayer. Are there any here this morning that you have never, you've never surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ? Maybe because you thought he was going to destroy your individuality, maybe for other reasons. 
I want to take just a minute here to give you an, invita- an opportunity to do that. This is how you become part of the kingdom of God. It starts by a decision to surrender to him. If you're here this morning and would like to do that, we'll all pray with you. Would you just raise your hand very high? Anybody here at all, raise your hand very high so I can see it. And we'll all join with you in prayer here, right, right, right where you are at. Anybody here at all? Could you turn up the lights a little bit so I can see a little better? Raise your hand very quickly here. If you're here this morning and want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Over there, praise God. Amen. Amen. Another person in the middle there. Wonderful. Just raise your hand high. You just say, you know what? I, I can't generate my own light. I've been trying to, and it just doesn't work. But man, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I can promise you it's, you're going to shine. Anybody else? Just raise your hand very quickly. Okay. Oh, over here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Amen. Just, just give it up. Give it up. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. Okay, let's all pray with these folks here. You who raised your hands, will you just pray out loud this prayer? And, and there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a formalized commitment. And we'll join with you in this, all right? Because this is how we all come to him. Heavenly Father, say it. I acknowledge that you are my maker. You have designed me in a unique way. And I admit that I haven't been living recognizing you as my creator. I've been trying to do it on my own. I am a sinner. But I thank you that you love me anyways. That Jesus died for me. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, forgive me, live in me, shine through me and teach me how to surrender every part of my being over to you. I give it all up right here and right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You just died. (laughs) You're dead. Amen. Wonderful. All the angels in heaven rejoice. All the angels in heaven rejoice. Would the prayer team come forward? And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you would like to have prayed for, I encourage you to do that. Otherwise, I just encourage you, disciples, trainees, apprentices of Jesus Christ, on a daily basis, give it all up, surrender the whole thing over to Jesus Christ, and let him shine through to a world that needs it because it's very, very dark. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.